0: This is Design Matters with
1: Debbie Millman from designobserver.com On this program, Debbie Millman talks with Jennifer Sterling about the process behind her intricate typographical designs.
0: It's not that it takes a long time to physically craft it, but just to find something that I like, so I'm not necessarily repeating myself or I'm looking at something differently
1: and... Just wandering into that arena, I think, takes a little bit of time. Here's Debbie Millman. Jennifer Sterling runs her own studio in New York City, Sterling Design. Once you've seen it, her work imprints itself on the mind. It often begins with type, then veers off into highly detailed and rigorous geometries. She celebrates physical processes, plays with scale, and turns text into texture. Jennifer's work is in the permanent collections of the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, the Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum, and the Library of Congress. Graphice, the International Journal of Visual Communication, included Jennifer in their list of top 10 designers in the world. Jennifer Sterling, welcome to Design Matters. Debbie, thank you for asking me. Let's go back to the beginning You were born in Miami and then went to school at the Art Institute in South Florida. I understand that you started out as an illustration major and then switched to design in an effort to have more control over your work. So in what way did you seek to have more control over your work? I don't think I was entirely sure at the
0: time. I didn't really understand how typography worked. And it wasn't until I switched into design that I found typography and that the rest really, is history. <laughs> well, that became my major love, yes.
1: Right after school, mm-hmm. you got a job at Pink House Design, which mm-hmm. is an advertising and design firm in Miami. Yes. You then moved to San Francisco and went to work as a designer at Tolson Design. Yes. An excellent firm. Yes. Uh, but still stylistically quite different from the work that you launched Jennifer Sterling Design with in 1996. Did you have any clients to start with? How did you go about getting your first jobs?
0: Well, someone called me and asked me if I wanted to be part of this big pitch, and um, I said yes. And
1: And so then how did all of the other projects come to be? What was the thing that sort of propelled you to the forefront of everybody's mind at that time?
0: um, I'm really bad at marketing myself. The only thing that I did do was enter shows and um, clients who were – savvy in that industry would call?
1: I recently saw the movie Pollock, and as Jackson Pollock was struggling to come up with something that was profoundly unique, there's a moment when he's in his studio and he first starts his splatter paintings, and his wife, Lee Krasner, watches what he's doing, and they lock eyes, and she says... I think you're on to something. And was there ever a moment where you felt like you were on to something? Was there ever that click where you suddenly realized that what you were doing actually hadn't been done before? No. I mean,
0: obviously, you don't want to look at someone's work and follow it, although you might wish you had done it. And and I'll do sometimes hundreds of pages of something before I look at it and say, oh, I like this. But then looking back, there's only a handful of things that I really still like. I'll... Look at a piece, and I, I only see the things that are wrong with it. Um, <laughs> you know, where I didn't, I knew I didn't have enough time, or I didn't ex- get exactly the right paper that I wanted, or or something. So, there's very few pieces that remain pristine to me.
1: So let's talk about your work and your style. Um, your typographic breakthroughs have been described as work that can be loud, or sing, or whisper. And Ellen Lupton, curator at the Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum, has said that you piece together delicate lines of type with the eye of a jeweler and then drapes them with seeming abandon across the luxurious body of the page. And that's quite apt. So, Jennifer, how long does it take you to do that kind of work? It's not that it
0: takes a long time to physically craft it, but just to find something that I like, so I'm not necessarily repeating myself or I'm looking at something differently. And just wandering into that arena, I think, takes
1: a little bit of time. So you wander into the arena. Do you sketch? Do you futz? Do you cry? Do you crumple paper up? Do you work on the computer? If you can, just give us a little tiny peek behind the curtain in terms of how you approach a project. I always sketch something and, and actually just take a photo
0: of it with my iPhone, bring it into Photoshop, might be something that isn't even taken for a particular project, but I'll keep it in the back of my visual library, and I know it'll come into play. I mean, it's just a radius circle, for God's sake. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and and there might be sort of hundreds of them at different weights, no matter what. But I actually, I don't have free time. I do that, and I'm with my loved ones. So, did I answer your question? <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> so. You were selected as one of Absolute's advertising campaign subjects, and the uh, tagline was Absolute Sterling. What was that like? How did that all come to be? Well, it's not as –
0: it's grandiose as it sounds because it wasn't following a famous designer or artist. It was Chi Perlman from ID asking me to do it. So. Had I realized the background of the campaign, I probably would have done something different than a take on my business card at the time and so, what might you do if you were to do it again? Oh, if I did it again, I would approach it completely differently. But who knows if it would be better? It's you know just that twenty twenty hindsight.
1: So prior to the redesign of Our American Currency, ID Magazine asked several designers what they would do if given the opportunity to create new notes. And in the work you did, you stated that it made sense to move away from the cult of presidents and move toward the cult of texts. What did you mean by cult of texts? I have to say the cult of
0: presidents – That might have been during the Bush years now. I would be more than happy to have Obama on it. Um, (laughs) I also think with the dollar bill, it was – I think when you think about America, it's about our verbiage and the imprints on the Statue of Liberty or the Declaration of Independence. And it was funny because – I'm sure that people have been thinking about this, but I said this before it became – There became type on, you know, the dollar bill with the script. And I also thought we should have Braille like in other countries where it's really not the honor system for currency.
1: I I actually can't understand why something like that hasn't been adopted by the government. What you did was absolutely perfectly appropriate in terms of adding the Braille element to the redesign and something that seems to baffle the mind as to why it hasn't been
0: well I mean it's not my idea I was when I, the first time I went to Europe in my teens it was on the Amsterdam currency and I was like oh well this makes sense I mean how do they know exactly
1: <laughs> I mean it's on coins from what I understand the the edges of the coin how some have ridges and the sizes of oh. coins allow seeing impaired people to be able to differentiate but there is no way to differentiate between the actual notes mm. You also did the branding for a coalition under the direction of Hillary Clinton and Madeline Albright. Um, Can you tell us what that was about? Well,
0: I never got to meet Hillary Clinton, and I'm a huge fan of hers and Hillary 2016.
1: I know, I know. (laughs) It's the only
0: person I could love more than Obama staying in office. Um, I was actually thrilled. I was hired through an agency, and so I spoke to someone who spoke to someone who. You know, knew her. And it was an incredible experience. It was for um, female ambassadorships in other countries and women's issues and
1: rights and um, designing the logo for that. Were you ever privy to the design decisions that Madeline and Hillary were employing? Did you ever get wind of how they were thinking about design or the designs that you were creating?
0: No, I do know that the Direction was changed years later because the solution that I had come up with and that had been used for, I don't know, maybe just about a year and a half was um, strongly tied to a a female symbol. So they wanted male CEOs to also feel an involvement into this venture. So, um, you know, it was changed because mine was too structured. I wish they had come back to me, but I don't even think that it was they were aware that I was the tail end of doing the design.
1: You've been an adjunct professor in design at the California College of the Arts since 1996. How important has teaching been to your career? Incredibly important. Teaching I enjoy
0: very much. I think it's been incredibly valuable to me Um, and also a great deal of fun. I mean, I taught for years at California College of the Arts with um thesis with Michael Vanderbilt and Jennifer Morla and Leslie Becker. And so that seemed more like a party than a teaching day,
1: but uh, it was great. Now, let's talk about some controversy. One of your more controversial projects occurred back in 2001. I think Michael Beirut described it best in an article in his book, 79 Short Essays on Design. He wrote... In those more innocent days, the U.S. graphic design community was embroiled in a gigantic debate over Jennifer Sterling's design of the annual publication of the American Institute of Graphic Arts 365, AIGA Year in Design. Sterling's design approach had been reliably iconoclastic, cropping posters, showing fragments of books and packages, and generally rendering the work unintelligible. An astonishingly long, for those days, thread piled up on AIGA's website with complaints about Sterling's hubris. You would have thought she was blowing up Buddhas in Afghanistan. Jennifer, how did you cope with this? You know, at the time, it was before blogs on design. And to
0: have a huge sort of response, and and not just from your colleagues or friends, but also from your design heroes and not necessarily um, complimentary, was difficult at the time. I completely understand the reaction, by the way. I understand um, I cropped people's work. And as a designer, look, I switched majors because I didn't want people to do that. (laughs) So, um, But when I was looking at it, I was trying to show what was so lovely about the piece. And it can just be this line on a page or the tactileness of the piece from the boss or the incredible use of restraint with a serif typeface or sans serif typeface. So I was really trying to pay each piece a compliment, but uh, <laughs> I...
1: all oh, hell broke loose. Yeah, it was... Um, it's oh. quite astonishing how easy it's become to criticize... Online, it seems like there's an awful lot of assessment that goes on without necessarily a full backstory to be able to explain the reasons strategically why people do the things that they do. And as someone who's also been the subject of negative feedback online, I really felt for you at the time because I actually liked the work but didn't have the courage to weigh in because of my own fears of being criticized too. On the AIGA forum and then later reported in an article written by designer and author David Cabianca, designer Lorraine Wilde stated that design annual should function as a historical record of what was valued by the community of designers in any given year. And as a record, annuals should demonstrate a neutral or transparent attitude toward the work they're intended to display. And she went on to say, so 20 or 30 years from now, when design historians look to 365 for an idea of what the profession was interested in in 2000, they will have a very hard time figuring it out. What do you think of that? Do you you agree with that statement?
0: Well, actually, looking back on it, when I read that statement, I thought it was quite accurate that that's probably the intent of the book, but it wasn't in my outline for the project.
1: So I wrote to Lorraine Wilde yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to sort of get her a sense. In David Kabyanka's article, he talks about Lorraine sort of having the last word in this argument because she was the last statement that was recorded in the thread. So I decided I was going to write to Lorraine and ask her about the comments back then and if she still felt the same way. And this is her reply, Jennifer. She says... I think Jennifer is an amazing typographer and a very smart designer. My comments back then focused only on the Baroque nature of her design of that year's annual and whether or not the design got in the way of the content. Obviously, at that time, based on my experience as a person who combed through annuals, I was questioning the appropriateness of the subjective nature of the way she delivered the archive. And the truth is that, 12 years later, I'm probably just as glad that she did what she did, since the 365 annual does end up not only being a piece of her work, but also an artifact of the sort of expressive, activated typography and willful independence from problem solving that characterized American graphic design from the mid-90s to the mid-aughts. So she made something that, while not timeless, which I don't believe in any way, is interesting over time. That's wonderful to hear. I mean, it's,
0: it's just, I don't know what to say. Maybe that should be the last word say. on the
1: subject, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's talk about some of your recent work. I understand that you're doing work in the music industry. You're doing work in the fashion industry. You're working on a luxury shoe line. You're designing textiles. Tell us about some of the work that you're currently making. Well, I've,
0: when I came over to the East Coast, just started posting some artwork online. I mean, I call it artwork because there's not a client for it. Um, so I am now doing work for Luna Textiles, who saw some of the work. And I'm also doing, I just finished a book for a fine art photographer, Jurik Vajdovich. It's a limited edition right now. Beautiful work. I love designing books and working with artists. It's more like a musician where you get to play with different people as opposed to being alone. So I've, I really enjoyed that experience.
1: And you're also working on a poster for Patrick King's George Lois project. Have you decided on the George Lois quote you want to design for him? (laughs) There's a number of quotes from this
0: incredible advertising giant, but the one that resonated with me was, If
1: all fails, threaten to commit suicide. (laughs) <laughs> um, Jennifer, the last question that I want to ask you is, is a personal one, and I hope you won't mind. How have you managed to do it? Motherhood, working, showing your work in museums, building a, a career? Well, it's what all people do, right? Well, thank you for doing it with such aplomb. Debbie, thank you very much for having me. You can find out more about Jennifer Sterling and see some of her magnificent work at jennifersterlingdesign.com. I'd like to thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we could make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Design Matters with Debbie Millman is recorded at the Masters in Branding Studio at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. It is produced by Curtis Fox Productions. The show is published exclusively by designobserver.com. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes Store.